Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Cannon Fodder, episode 86. I am Joe O'Brien. And I am Troy. Gaming is now my life, LaValle. It is all we do, buddy. It's all we do. <laughs> Not a bad life. No, no, no. Things, things could be worse, for no. sure. No, and they will be. And this is wonderful to just get a chance to not game and just talk. And just talk about games. Just talk about games. We haven't done it in too long, and I'm glad we have the whole crew here to do it. From the Glass Cannon Podcast, Skidmar, Matthew Cabotacaza, and Grant Berger. Hey, Everybody's yeah. here. Yeah. What's going on, this fellas? Is nice. So, yeah. It's all right. Very early. <laughs> all right. Mm. Yes, this is. It is actually, for me, I'll, speaking for myself, this is really nice. I have missed this. For the last month or so, five weeks it's been, I think, since we last dropped fodder. We went 85 weeks of dropping a fodder every week, and then we just stopped. And uh, If you miss it so much, why don't you marry it? <laughs> I don't have any time to marry it, Skid. I don't have any time. I am licensed. I can do it for you. That's if you true. want, you if already you want did- to marry cannon fodder, I am a... I'm a reverend in the universal. <laughs> you already did it for me once. I did it once. I can do it again. You do it again. No, but seriously, it has been such a crazy busy month in exact contrast to what you guys, the listeners, have heard. Yeah. For the last month, you've heard one show a week. And and a big thank you, obviously, to those of you that have written us or talked to us in person and said how much you've missed Cannon Fodder and how much you want to hear from us multiple times a week. And we really appreciate it. And we are, really want to get this out there, there to you. But I got to tell you, in that time, we have, I mean, I think you guys would agree, we have worked harder in the last four weeks and recorded more content mm-hmm. in the last four weeks than any four-week period since we started the show. Yeah, I would agree. It's been the busiest we've ever been. But I think it's also, you'd think that we'd be stressed out and like not putting out quality because there's so much quantity. But I think it's the most fun we've had gaming in a while. Do you guys agree? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, starting Starfinder, learning a brand new system, the excitement of starting a new AP and a new system, that has just got us so and juiced. And a new setting, too. A, a new like, setting. A whole new kind of theme is really cool just doing sci-fi is you know and adding eleanor has brought such a a great new energy to the show Mm -hmm. and then switching gears and having skid gm ruins of oslan again starting another podcast and within six days we started two new adventure path podcasts (laughs) uh when we started i mean it's just it's been so exciting and and we were talking the other day we we were like wait what just happened in the last episode i can't remember was it was it oslan was it starfinder (laughs) what are we doing (laughs) so we have to take a moment now to like am i in danger here right (laughs) Is it, I mean, dire peril? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, so much has happened in the last four weeks, and we're going to cover that. And not only the games we've been playing, but some of the other stuff we've been doing as well. And then we're going to get into some listener mail, which uh, we're going to really pack in a few this time, because it's been a month since we talked to you guys. So we want to hear from you, and we're going to answer your questions. Then, yes. Uh, Joe, I want to know, how is Cannon Fodder going to be different now? Yeah, I guess that's... Put you on the spot. Uh, yeah, more of a general... Yeah. Uh, I should probably answer that <laughs> generally first. Is It is going to change a little bit, because it used to just be essentially a recap show of the Glass Cannon Podcast, combined with some general RPG discussion. Well, now, since it's going to be a month in between, I want to get more listener mail. That's the first thing that I want. I kind of didn't like one listener mail a week, but that's really all we had time for. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, once we got rolling on those things, we could talk for an hour about one of those questions. 
Now we're going to try to get a few more in and answer them uh, you know, a little quicker, a little tighter, and keep that to be the bulk of the show. And maybe through that, through answering those questions, we'll bring up stuff that, that happened in the shows. But we also don't want to be spoiling too much because as more and more content gets out there, we don't know who's had a chance to listen to what. So we're going to try to be a little bit more careful about that. We're also going to be checking in more on us in general, what we're playing, video games, board games, things outside of only Pathfinder. And then we'll be talking about news and events in Glass Cannon Nation, the things that our fantastic listeners are running, events they're running in different parts of the country, ones that we may or may not be able to attend. Uh, and then obviously we're going to, today we're going to talk about some of that stuff and we're going to talk about GCP Live, yeah. which is coming in April. So we'll touch on details for that. And then also I want to make more of a commitment to get more interviews and more personalities outside of just us on Cannon Fodder. And this week... We're not enough for you, Joe. No, no, Matthew. You are certainly not enough. You don't compare at all. Do I get a the... week off? <laughs> never. Never, LaValle. We keep you chained up in the attic. <laughs> Run another module! Run it immediately! Uh, no, we have some very special guests this week from Paizo. We have the lead designer of the Pathfinder game system, the, the guy behind creating the system itself, Jason Bullman, what? is joining us in the attic. What? What? Today didn't tell us to this. record what? an interview. <laughs> what? That is insane. That is insane. And as if that wasn't enough, we are also going to have friend of the show and publisher of all products, uh, Paizo, Eric Mona, is going to be here as well what? in the attic recording an interview. What? How ridiculous is this? <laughs> That's crazy. We started this dumb show and have it's it's grown to the point that the publisher and the creator of the game are just coming to hang out in the attic. Coming yeah. to hang out at the attic. And that, Troy, I hope answers your question about God, what's different about Cannon Fire. Yes. <laughs> we have some, some legitimate, legit interviews today, so you'll hear those uh, at the end of the show very excited to welcome those guys on we have to clean up i know let's <laughs> get put on some pants <laughs> no i refuse <laughs> flatly refuse this is who we are Our legs yeah. are so white <laughs> <laughs> but it's time to just honestly get back right now to what we have been up to you guys haven't heard from us in a month and i'll tell you one thing right out of the gate that we have done in the last four weeks and that is start an entirely new ap that's going to be released on our patreon it's called Ruins of Aslan. Skid is running it, and it drops tomorrow, Friday. This tomorrow. episode is releasing on a Thursday. Tomorrow, Friday, it is dropping for our Patreon subscribers at the $5 and up tier. We have already been underway playing it, and I'm just going to throw it to you, Skid, for, for a second. I just kind of want to know you personally, what are you most excited for the listeners to hear on Friday when, when your AP drops? Well, uh, I love running games. It's so much work. Uh, it's way more work than just playing it one day. But <laughs> I just, I love doing it. Like, I love, like, kind of being in that director's chair kind of for the show. So I'm really excited for people to hear that. Um, it, it gives me the chance to, like, I, you know, I love playing different characters. I love, like, all the different characters I played on Glass Cannon and the chance to play every other character in the world. It's really fun for me. It's super exciting. So I'm excited about that. And I'm also excited for everybody to meet your characters, you guys' as characters in the show. Um, I mean, you've all seen the videos already of us talking about them, but to actually see them in action, like you guys made some really neat characters, and I think the way that they are going to bounce off each other is going to be really exciting. So 
Um, yeah. I yeah, think, and I'm uh, sorry to cut you off, Skip, but if you don't know, if you go to our YouTube channel, you will see videos that posted this past week uh, of Skid interviewing each of us as players to introduce our characters. So there's some, you know, uh, broad strokes, kind of uh, sketchings of these characters to give you an idea of who they are. Uh, but it's not until Friday anybody's really going to see them in, in action. Yeah, and I just, um, we've had so much fun playing just so far, like what we've done. Uh, oh, I'm I couldn't just, agree more. I'm just so excited for everybody else to hear it. I mean, so. the setting is just so great. It has a uh, Indiana Jones kind of feel to it. And just, just right out of the gate, you know, sailing off into the unknown to explore. It's, Raiders of the Lost Continent. And there is the title, <laughs> Raiders of the Lost sailing, Continent. <laughs> take me away from where I want to. You know, and something I forgot to mention in the the live video that we did uh, on Sunday from the attic is that starting with the release of Aslant, we are going to have a Patreon exclusive RSS feed, uh, which is something that people have been demanding since we started. Uh, They've been releasing furious with furious. You. I know because it's so hard to just download the Patreon app <laughs> and listen to it from there. <laughs> oh, for sure. How could I have to do that? But no, I think this is the the least we can do. The it thing certainly that, is better. Yeah, it's definitely better. Feed. The, the reason we held off on it for so long is that like we had some people that were pirating uh, that were pirating some of our bonus content and putting it up on like Google Drive for people and listen it's not the end of the world they're not going to make a killing that way but it's just lame and so the way Patreon does RSS feeds is that every individual pledger gets its own private RSS feed so if we if Patreon or us we, we can see if you share that feed and if you share that feed we got to shut you down right. uh, so just don't do it uh, because you'll ruin it for everyone but it's going to make life a lot easier for everybody else and as far as I know you'll still be able to access all the old content through that feed and then anytime we post something new it'll go directly to your uh, private Patreon RSS feed well Troy you had also mentioned during the show open here that we recorded we started two different games in addition to our Giant Slayer campaign in the last four weeks we started playing a brand new game called Starfinder. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) We are heavily underway. We've actually recorded more Starfinder right now than we have Aslan. And it is, we're getting into it. We're getting into the system. And I just want to, you know, I'll start with you, Matthew. Just tell me in general what you're thinking so far about the the mechanics of the system as a, a change from Pathfinder. Do you like it? Do you not like it? What do you think so far? Oh, I think it's awesome. I think there's some really smart uh, elisions and kind of consolidations of things. Like, you know, it, it, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm, tongue-tied, I'm tongue-tied about how, <laughs> how much I'm excited about some of those changes. Um, it just makes sense. There's a lot of stuff that's just like, you're like, oh, of course, that makes sense. Yes. Like, that's so such a great idea. And it has made, I think it makes the gameplay a lot faster, a lot snappier, and a lot, and a lot more fun. Hmm. Do you have any any examples you can think of offhand, just mechanically, of like something that you're like, I like this. This just makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, um, we just ran into this uh, flat-footed in Starfinder. Is just a minus two to AC. I mean, that's that's it. That's it. No, you don't have. It's not an adjustment. It's just you know, not adjusting you're, your dex bonus based on. Right. Your, but yeah, it's just, just a minus two to AC, which makes sense, right? Because you get caught and you're just a little bit more op- more vulnerable to an attack. Right. Also, the guarded step is another one. Like the instead of just having the five foot step, which has all kinds of funky rules, you just have a guarded step. It's a move action. It, yeah. It, it it you are safe from attacks of opportunity, but but you use an action. But you use an it's action. It's not free anymore. Right. Yeah. So little things like that, I, I I do think are interesting. And it's funny when you say the flat footed thing. Something just occurred to me. Tell me if I'm wrong. When you were flat footed in Pathfinder, you lose your dexterity bonus to AC, right? Yes. Yeah. So it more heavily penalizes. 
high dexterity, extremely <laughs> yeah. reactive yeah. characters. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That's true. I just yeah. thought of that. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. A nice flat minus two is, is great. Right. And a it does if someone bonus. doesn't have a dex bonus, it doesn't penalize them at all. So Skid, so. you you said that the one of the things you were excited about was the change in setting. So uh, elaborate on that for a little bit for me. How much? What has been your reaction to really playing an RPG in a sci-fi setting uh, with these guys? Uh, I just think it's so you know, like growing up, uh, you know, my my main focus was D and D, but I talk about it a lot. Like I played a lot of Traveler, like the old Traveler mm-hmm. like sci-fi RPG, and I loved it. And mostly when I would just play, like, you know, like a kid playing, it was always with my Star Wars action figures. And so I was always like, pew, pew. Like, there weren't any, like, <laughs> there weren't a lot of, like, uh, fantasy-themed, like, uh, action figures. Probably, like, I guess. You didn't have Sirenscape when you no, were we playing have, with no, your minis? No, no. We were so limited in our sound effects <laughs> that we had back then. But, uh, yeah, but we had, you had, like, you know, He-Man. It was like, but it's like, that was, like, almost pro wrestling more than like real <laughs> real fantasy right so uh you know so i just love it's it's i love i love i love sci-fi I, and i love how like you know yeah everyone's just it's shooting guns everyone's shooting guns <laughs> and they have like force fields and there's still magic and there is still magic so it's like and i love that it's incorporated into the setting that we all are familiar with the Pathfinder setting. It's just thousands of years in that future. Yeah. So it's like it's it's familiar and it's brand new. Yes, it's great. Troy, you have been running this game, and you were playing Dead Sons, the the first AP yes. that Paizo released to go along with Starfinder. What have your thoughts been so far on on the AP? I know you've read pretty far ahead. Yeah, um, tell you know, us I, what happens. I <laughs> I read the first book like months and months ago, and I all I can think to myself is, wow, this is going to make a great podcast. Uh, Rob McCreary wrote book one, and he was also the uh, sort of the overseer of Giant Slayer. So it's uh, it's it's nice to have this uh, unified vision in both of our uh, our main two shows. Um, but I think you'll see very early on that it's still the same old Glass Cannon podcast. Yes, we added someone. Yes, it's in space. But I mean. There's, there's just so much that carries over. It's just a lot more ranged combat with lasers. Right. Um, you know, but role playing is role playing and this is heavy role playing right out of the gate. Um, but combat, you know, we're still, we're, we're, we're still learning the, the basics of combat, but it's not like we don't know the rules so much. It's like just the, the feel of combat is so much different. It's a lot more tactical. Yeah. It's a lot, uh, sometimes it moves really quick. Sometimes it, uh, moves really slow. Sometimes damage is crazy right out of the gate. Spells do so much damage uh it's gonna be interesting to see how i adjust to what you guys do and then what you guys adjust to how much i throw at you so we're, we're still in our infancy really figuring yeah. out the system but but i think wouldn't you agree that months ago we were not recording starfinder and we were all buried in the in the core rule book because yeah. we knew recording a show we wanted to put our best foot forward and there were so many new things to learn not only mechanically but in the setting yeah. to really properly generate characters and play characters that are from this place that's very new to us in a lot of ways. 
I was pretty, uh, if, if I may say so myself, kind of impressed with us at how smoothly things have gone so yeah. far in our recordings with rules and setting. We seem to have dropped in pretty well, and everybody did their homework in the core rule book. It's not that we know it cover to cover sure. by any stretch, but it really hasn't been very clunky. I mean, no. it's, it's a the system's intuitive. Yeah, and also the way it's written. You know, this is the rise of the Rune Lords for Starfinder. You know, the way it's written, the way it's written, the way it's written. <laughs> yeah, Jason Witten, the way Jason Witten wrote. The way Wait, Jason, Jason Witten wrote Legend. The game. <laughs> Jason Witten. Uh, Rob McCreary is his ghostwriter. Uh, the way it's. That's why, that's why the writing's so tight. Because he's a tight end. Because he's a tight end. Bottle cap. Hand of bottle cap. Fought a bottle cap. Um, the, the way it's written, you know, it's introducing you to the system in a very, uh, pr- you know, systematic way, a procedural way. You're learning how the stamina and resolve points work. You know, eventually you'll learn starship combat. You'll learn how range and, and melee, like you're. you're it's written so as to like walk you through the basics of the game before you get thrown in the deep end of the pool. I think uh, we did a smart thing too, which was splitting up the game into categories of rules. Yeah, and each of us were were assigned to specialize in one of those areas. So like I was assigned like starship combat, and Grant was, what was skills. Yeah, which skills. I still need to see a lot in the game and see how that plays out and, and situational, but but yeah. getting to really know which skill checks apply to what because as matthew stated a lot of elisions a lot of compressions a lot of skills are now uh mixed into one so it's it's streamlined but also because each skill kind of deals with more things they apply to more things like the knowledge skills are all kind of like combined with other skills right Mm -hmm. yeah the culture and uh, life Life science science um you know and that was that was great for me joe you you came up with this idea of splitting like the portions of the book because yes i read it cover to cover but i forgot it you know the second i finished the last page and it helps out me so much as a gm where i'm trying to run a brand new system to just be like uh this all right this is a question about combat that i'm not 100 percent on who's the combat guy oh matthew how does this work and maybe you have to still look it up but you might be like exactly where it is i know exactly where it is you know (laughs) Yeah, like our books are all tabbed out and everything because your section, you you might have to reread it, but you know it really well. And I have to credit that idea. I didn't come up with that idea. I got that idea from the guy who is, and we'll talk about him more later, but the guy who is running the GCP Mid-Atlantic event, Kayvon, a longtime fan of the show. That's what his group did. Smart. And he mentioned that to me in passing, and I was like, that is a great idea. And I was like, this is is something that we should do for the show for our preparation, and I I think it's really worked well. Fear not, though, to longtime fans of the show we still are really stupid yes, yes. <laughs> there'll, be a, no there'll be a few articles no shortage of articles on that we need blog content we are stupid in space <laughs> as it turns in out in space no one can hear you be stupid <laughs> uh, well I want to also talk about some other things that we've been working on which is Twitch we've done several Twitches since back in December announced or in November actually announcing that we were going to have Twitches every Friday night at 8 o'clock Eastern time uh, mostly that's been Grant and Skid who have been putting on great shows on Friday nights. Ellie and I, who was the new person that we cast in uh, the Starfinder game, uh, Eleanor and I played uh, League of Legends with a group of uh, listeners, GCP Nation, basically, and everybody signed on and we all friended each other and we created this group and it was really, really fun and we're going to do it again. So if you're out there and play League of Legends and want to join us, uh, just jump on to, to League of Legends, follow the uh, the information that we put out on social media and you can join the GCP Nation Club and uh, and be involved in, in those nights. But I want to kick it over to you for a second, Grant, just to talk about what you guys have been doing on Twitch and what is coming up in terms of games you're excited to, to play. Well, I'm going to start off actually with the interest of community in mind we actually have a gcp steam group 
which currently has around 60 some odd members. But the more people who can join that up, I'm a moderator. I believe Banana Cleric is a moderator. Join up when you see other people looking for games. Uh, please uh, feel free to just bother each other and say, hey, do you have this game? Let's let's hook up. Let's play. Uh, you can find uh, me on there. I am the underscore errancy. Uh, Skid, do you want to share your Steam tag? Or leave yeah, it? I'm, uh, I'm Hey Skid. Hey Skid, find us on there. Uh, <laughs> if we don't have time to game with you, you can at least find the group easily that way. And we're starting. It's also great. That's if people, everyone wants to buy us gifts. Yes, please. On Steam. Please send like, us. That's, that's, a, that's allows you to do that. Uh, Damn it, Skid. I've been trying to get a Mercedes Benz for years. So if you can send that to me through Skid. Uh, well, mostly through, like other games. Yes, yes. If you, it's hard to purchase a car through Steam. Yes, it is. <laughs> thus far. And thus we far. also are working on a PlayStation Network group. But recently we've been playing a lot of horror games because uh, Skid is not a scaredy cat but he gets very scared and tense and things and i kind of like making him feel uncomfortable uh so we've been doing <laughs> outlast alien isolation we've been doing a lot of those we did doki doki Fucking literature doki, Cup. Doki literature oh uh, that was amazing we got to we got to all play like five oh. different japanese high school girls uh <laughs> that ended up like in a murder mystery it changed my life man I, like i i can measure my life pre doki doki literature club <laughs> and post doki doki skid texted me the next day and was like i was up until four in the morning thinking about that game <laughs> cannot. So, so, so we have a lot of fun. me up bad man we're gonna we're gonna keep on hitting some big major releases as the year goes on we have those teed up um in the immediate future immediately after this cannon fodder we're going to bring over uh to casa del burger um <laughs> which is has delicious mexican food by the way um we're gonna bring eleanor over and we're also going to invite my wife angel and we're going to do four player couch co-op of diablo 3 that's awesome when <laughs> we're gonna start it up this saturday uh i think during the day i think that's the plan uh but we check out our twitter uh follow us on twitch.tv uh, slash glass cannon it's a glass the, the glass cannon twitch.tv slash the glass cannon and we'll put up an event and you'll be able to see it there and we're just going to have a grand old time killing zombies in a fantasy setting really excited about mm. that it'll be fun to, to game with ellie and angel like live like in the room that'll be yeah really it'll fun. be really nice to have everyone in the same room and we thankfully have like a zoom that supports four different mics that's going to go into the playstation and it'll be great awesome i'm a little afraid the world is going to end if one of our wives actually deigns to participate in one of these events well <laughs> she did angel did sort of participate in doki doki literature club uh-huh. and it was one of the finest moments in the history of our twitch channel <laughs> um she would voice one of the characters and her take on it was one of the funniest things i've ever seen <laughs> so i'm very excited about about saturday hopefully that's the limit of uh, our wives uh, involvement story. so but we want i'm encouraging i'm just i'm just af- i'm just afraid that the the, the space-time continuum will tear <laughs> Don't worry. No, that's what I'm worried about. That's hopefully they don't. Don't worry. Angel still has never listened to the show. No, she um, but, fear not. Um, we also, in addition to Skid and I doing things, we also want to get those uh, League of Legends games with Joe going on. We want to get Troy on whenever we can pull him away from all his prep, because I know people love watching him get killed in Call of Duty. Yeah, what have you been playing, Troy? You haven't been twitching anything, but have you been playing? Ha- I've been playing uh, an embarrassing amount of Call of Duty multiplayer, but I play it when I just have like the slightest little bit of time to myself. Yeah. Um, 
And so I, uh, I actually. So what just, level are you? I just prestiged. Um, what does so, that mean? So you you have to play to level fifty six. Uh, you and you've and, played to level fifty six. Yeah, I'm already at level ten of my first going into my second prestige. Oh my god! You know, it's the that's first, a lot. And that resets to, everything. It resets everything. Well, you get to keep your uniforms, your helmets, and stuff that you you get to keep a lot of the stuff, but you have to restart. Uh, all, all basically anything you unlocked, unless it's a special thing that you unlocked, you have to re-unlock with tokens. It's like starting all over. Um, it's but like new game. I thought I would just <laughs> like stop there, but like I, I, I'm really, really into it. They just dropped a new map a couple weeks ago and a new division. Do you regularly have a positive KD these days? Is that like every almost every match? If I were to jump on right now and twitch something, I would be garbage. But <laughs> when I play by myself, I'm 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 always in the top two or three at this point. I've, I've been playing so much; it's the best I've ever played Call of Duty. We're talking like. I got 30 kills the other day with only five deaths. So that doesn't happen all the time. But like I'm in the zone now. The resistance division uh, uses a tactical knife. We have like a pistol in one hand, a tactical knife. And one of the missions you like to get more uh, like a a supply drop was to get 100 kills with a tactical knife. (laughs) And I was so into it. I actually did it over like a week and a half. Just running around stabbing Oh, it is the best. You just you you look on the map and you sneak up and just stab them in the face. (laughs) I love it. Did that 100 times. But I mean, I I don't know. This is the first time that that I've ever played Call of Duty and didn't finish the story mode before I went into multiplayer because I know once I start multiplayer I'll never go back to story mode and I, I I don't think I'll ever do it I just love the multiplayer but I need a new game I know Red Dead uh, re, uh, what is it called Red Dead Revolution is coming out uh, very soon uh, yeah well uh, they do April. no 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 it's it got no, bumped the, to the fall no it got bumped to next year get out of here yeah, they just they just bumped it back but oh, shit they i heard that they are re-releasing red dead redemption an upgraded version of red dead redemption for playstation 4. am i gonna get a check in the mail for that's my the voice question work? That's Pro- the no question. you're not no no joe was not my voice over at the yeah, time so. that's that's why they went on strike uh, i will i will def- i told i promised people last night on my tropical 5 twitch that i will definitely twitch that game and I will make it my business to hunt down your character and kill him over and over. <laughs> That's well, awesome. Skid, I will come over for that. When, okay. you get, when you get to Thieves Landing, let me know. I I'll will. <laughs> you know, one thing I was thinking about doing is because my free time tends to be more during the day. And I know that's not prime time for twitching. But one way I could contribute to Twitch more is doing like a day twitch. And I did notice great. they are releasing the original Dark Souls completely remastered <gasps> for PS4. Get out of here. Uh, I didn't know that. I don't know if I want to bring that back into my life but Demon man, Souls? no just the original first Dark Souls oh okay uh, all totally know. remastered I still don't understand how you guys think it's fun to be that angry <laughs> I know I don't get that game at all I don't get it because don't when you finally it. succeed it's just like white knuckle yeah! joy <laughs> uh, but I don't know I gotta pick a game I, I didn't realize that Red Dead was pushed off another year that's, that's yeah. garbage we got another cu- couple hot games coming up this year that I definitely want to hit on besides Red Dead and maybe Dark Souls uh, we got a couple PlayStation 4 exclusives including the new Spider-Man game which yes. looks Ooh, amazing which that looks we're definitely going to play and I definitely definitely want to dive into the depths of The Last of Us Part 2 oh holy crap. when does that come out when's that out it's coming out sometime this year but it could be delayed Naughty Dog takes its time they to craft time. just beautiful games <laughs> and I'm really excited about uh, Surviving Mars mm-hmm. um, from Paradox and Hamimont um, who are two of my favorite so my studio developer they make Tropico and uh, all the Crusader Kings and Europa Universalis games. And it's a game about colonizing Mars, and it looks amazingly fun, and I can't wait. All right, well, we need to get to some listener mail because we've <laughs> spent so much, so much time talking about video games. Uh, we want to talk to you guys. So let's get into a little listener mail. 
All right, we're going to start off our new, uh, the new Cannon Fodder. Cannon Fodder, in, uh, episode 86, with an international question, gentlemen. Oh, Ooh. international. <laughs> international edition. <laughs> Greg from Bradford in the UK. Have you ever heard of Bradford? There's yeah, a Bradford, yes. Massachusetts, which is very close to my hometown of Haverhill, Mass. It's yeah. probably named after Bradford, uh, England. Or There's vice versa. A, oh, that's where my sister went to college. In Bradford, Massachusetts? Yeah, she went to Bradford, Bradford, Bradford College. That, that college to, isn't there anymore. I know. It, it's. I keep teasing her because it's like, your college is gone. Like, I don't think your degree is worth anything now. Like, she, <laughs> There's like, nothing to back it up. She, she was like, I was like, well, at least my college still exists. Like, I don't know what you, you know. <laughs> what a small world. Yeah, yeah. It's really fun. Yeah, she lived in Haverhill. So this question comes from uh, from Greg in the UK who says, I'm currently running a homebrew campaign of a fairly large group, seven players Ugh. and they've all written backstories and he's trying to work everything in and he says now lately you guys have been following Lork's story quite heavily towards the end of book three and into the start of book four how do you manage to keep a balance with the other players during these role play heavy periods that are just really shaping one character's impression of the world besides the sessions obviously like episode 100 where uh you guys have made characters that supported a part of the story troy do you speak to your players in your game to let them know that an episode is going to be quote-unquote lork heavy no no i i never have I, i don't think i have um you know, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but we talk about the show Lost a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and Lost, I think, is a perfect example on how to run an RPG campaign because every week pretty much focused on a, a different character or the A story would be one character, the B story would be another couple of characters. And I think that's a great way to think about your sessions. But a lot of times it's up to the players too to to kind of gauge when they're in the spotlight. So that's why I don't pre-tell people like, all right, Grant, I want this to be a real barren episode. I'll do that if I feel like you're struggling to find your place. I'll be like, let's try and work some barren stuff in next week, give you some time to think about it. And you have done that in the past. I know you've done that for for me. Yeah, yeah. it's important, especially with seven players. That's got to be brutal right. to make sure you're giving enough time to each person. But I don't think you have to feel obligated to do that every single session. I think that's impossible to try and give everybody their spotlight. There's going to be sessions where it's just all about one player. And then next week, it'll be all about a couple. You got to do your best that like out of four or five sessions in a row, you're not always focusing on on one person. And I, you know, we've done that a lot with Lork. I'm not taking my, my own advice, but it just was kind of organic to where the story is taking place. So hopefully you have players that are like, oh, I understand this story is about them, but also are finding their way to insert their personalities in without like, you know, hammering them in where they don't belong. And you have done it in the in after recording, after sessions. I've, I've heard you say like, hey, guys, I know it's, it's a little lork heavy right now, but we have this coming up and this coming up. You know what I mean? Not like specific story stuff, but yeah. just saying, you know, you guys know what what we've been talking about. Skid wink, wink. You know, I've seen you have those conversations sure. and it's like so the players know stuff is coming up, but you also have to like. You have to be aware if you're in a seven-person game that it's going to ebb and flow. There's going to be times where you have to kind of take a back seat for a little bit. You know what really helped me was uh, having Troy let me kill your character. 
that really made me feel all right with the whole situation. I was going to say the only option for the if for seven players, really the only option is to conspire with the GM to murder the other characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what you can do is like if you feel that someone isn't getting their moment in the sun, talk to them outside of the session and be like let's do something with your character. What, what, what are you interested in? Like, what's going on in his or her head right now? Is there some way we can we can put that in the show? And then give that player some time outside of the session to think about that. And then they'll come, hopefully, at you with some ideas. And you'll be like, all right, well, when the time comes, be ready to to take this story to the next level. All right, let's move on to our next question. This one is from Olivia in Philly because she's in Philly. So you get on the show. Get on the show. Olivia knows how to get her question read. She sure does. She sure does. She's probably not even from Philly. She just knows you put her on. Multiple listeners have done this, and they've all got on the show with that lie. So like Scarsdale or something. Uh, Olivia from the home of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles asks, is there any point point in a story where you feel that the GM can or should divulge hidden secrets or plot lines that the players have missed. I know opinions may change from homebrew to adventure path, but I'd love to hear what you guys think. We have talked about this before on Cannon Fodder, and in one way or another, it's been a long time, but uh, generally speaking, uh, let's go to Grant. What, if you're running a game and players are missing something really cool and it's gone, like they're not going to get it back, do you reveal this to them or do you keep it locked up? As long as it's not tied to uh, some development that happens further down the line, I might. But at the same time, you might get creative and try to find a way to allude to it in some way through another NPC or something like that and get them asking questions. And I think the best way to do it is to whet their appetite and maybe via email with your individual players. Someone usually writes the GM and says, hey, man. I wonder what would have happened here if this had happened. Mm. And then maybe you just give out a little bit to them. I wouldn't sit down the whole party and say, well, this could have happened and it would have been great. But <laughs> you were stupid. Right, right. <laughs> Skid, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I, sometimes I will do that. If it's something like really exciting, I was like, oh, I'm so bummed. Like it's such, because we, we've talked about before how how often there'll be something really cool like in uh, you know an NPC's backstory or something that just there's no way to get it out unless you are a mind reader or you know whatever right so it's a bummer sometimes and sometimes like something really cool like I will I will like kind of talk about it but I don't as a rule because I think I, I don't want people to think that if there's anything cool that they miss that they're just going to get it eventually like mm-hmm. I want people to think like we have to do our all of our research we have to like uh leave no stone unturned if we want to get all this story mm-hmm. you know get it as a reward for that so actions have consequences exactly yeah. I will sometimes say, like, after the fact, a couple sessions later when I know you just can't go back there and get it, not that I would allow that, like, oh, you missed XYZ treasure. Mm-hmm. Huge, you know, plus five, such and such. Um, but, yeah, I guess I, I have no problem with, like Grant said, is, like, if as long as it doesn't tie into something development later in the story, yeah, why not? Let people know what they missed. Uh, dangle it over their head. I can think of something right now that I can tell you from Giant Slayer Book 3 what? that you guys didn't get to. So you remember when you crossed the bridge with the stone giants and there were two different paths to go and they were both looking kind of muddy. So you ended up going to the southwest and that led to the uh, tombstones, the tombstones yeah. with the scrags, those uh, aquatic trolls. Yeah. And then you end up and fought the Benios. 
you don't know what happens had you gone left. And at that point in the adventure, I was ready for you guys to just get to what you needed to go to. Right. I think we were, too. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, that's why I didn't want to really push you going down there. But I was also excited about the encounter. If you had started going down there, you were going to hear some noises. I'm sure you'll start doing some perception checks of, like, uh, sounds like people are yelling and fighting. And then all of a sudden, you would see these, uh, I think they were hill giants or maybe ogres or trolls, like, running around like they're kicking something and they were going to kick something right over to you guys and it was going to be the head of a wood troll. <laughs> what? what? Right? And then behind them was a... Uh, referee? A referee, no. <laughs> was it, it was some kind of a giant. It's escaping me right now, but it was a pretty badass sorcerer. And I haven't played a sorcerer on the show yet as, as one of the NPCs or That's bad guys. Have I played a sorcerer? Pappy Guttercrunch. Was, oh, that's right. He was a sorcerer. That, I think Good that's call, the only Matthew. one I played. Damn. Um, cannon fodder bottle cap. Bottle, yeah, bottle, bottle cap. Fod cap. They're useless. They <laughs> <laughs> have no cash value. Um, but it was a pretty cool encounter. I think it was four ogres or something, and then this one sorcerer. Um, and then there was another encounter after that with another manticore. Oh, um, no. A manticore that was being no. captured by two giants. And if you had freed the manticore, it would have run away and then come back and attacked you later in the adventure. So just like cool things like that i i so I, I sorry like having we this opportunity that. to tell you <laughs> well, well so you see olivia yes the yes. answer is yes troy yeah. does tell you after the fact i will say that uh, <laughs> i've only run adventure paths i've never done a homebrew and i have uh told my players things that they've missed all the time and it's not for not for any strategic reason it's only because i there's so much stuff i read that is so awesome that yeah. i can't not share the secret so if they missed a secret door and there was some encounter like a social encounter with someone behind there was this odd magician that was locked away for a hundred years <laughs> like i'll be i'll talk all about it because i think it's so cool but they unfortunately missed it in the adventure the one thing i think you need to be honest with yourself about if you were running a homebrew is if you made something too difficult to suss out yeah there is that's, fun that's being good. cryptic there is fun making things like be behind certain checks Make players work yeah. right and that's that's good and that's good exercise and it's more challenging and oftentimes more fun but if you made it too difficult just go back and reassess why didn't my players get there if it was because they were drunk and not paying attention fine they don't get it but if it was something that may have just been too difficult and made sense to you but not to them maybe reassess based on your players that's a good point it's a, it's a really good point but it can be a great way to get context depth and meaning to stuff they've already experienced Mm. Yeah. You know. Yeah, there you go. That's great. All right, let's move on. We have another question. This is from Matt from No Idea. Let's fill, make it fill out. in the blank. Uh, um, from Astoria, New York. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Matt, like, I don't want him coming around. <laughs> yeah. You don't want him coming around. Uh, he is from uh, it's Juno. Juno, Alaska. Juno, Alaska. Wow. Alaska. Wow. All right. All right. So he's, he's a wild man. I hope yeah. he's a Patreon supporter. <laughs> we need to start coloring the map up. Yeah, there. we need those, yeah. Little, those little neon green uh, D20s up there in Alaska. <laughs> so pitch in, uh, Matt. Come on, Matt. <laughs> For all your Alaskan brethren. The funniest thing is, with as common as a name as Matt is, Matt still doesn't know who he is. <laughs> I haven't started reading his question. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt asks, is there a point when you feel okay about taking control of a player. And I think he means a, a player character here. Mm -hmm. So essentially, to, to boil it down, 
he has a lackadaisical uh, player who or, created a paladin that lackadaisical. His, what's that? Lackadaisical. I'm sorry. <laughs> lackadaisical is incorrect, right? Yes. And my, I think I always say it's that. Laxative. It's yeah. pronounced laxative. <laughs> my New Jersey family loves. I have to say a laxative that player. Yes. That's Just right. say lollygagging. Quit your lollygagging. <laughs> or he could lack daisicals. It's true. He, could lack he lacks daisicals, and it's really a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is kind of one of those tough situations where you don't have a, the ideal uh, communication and relationship with a player. So, so what do you do? Basically, the player has created this character, this paladin, and uh, but he's missed a lot of sessions and. And he's not really taking the the hints that the GM is giving about how to connect his backstory to the campaign Ugh. and really get them all tied in. But he likes, but the GM likes the character. I'm already so what he's wondering is like, should I take his character and since he doesn't show up, you know, as often and make him an NPC in the adventure? <laughs> Or, uh, and when the player comes back in, should I just be like, you need to make a new character because we've moved on with, with your character that you currently have? No, you kill him. You yeah. kill him. And you never let this loser back in your game. Grant, Grant, Grant just very skillfully mimed murdering this player. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm sorry. The player or the character, Grant? Uh, the player. Well, <laughs> the I player. assume the player. Depending on the local laws in Juneau, Alaska, maybe yeah. both. But uh, it's kind of a wild, wild illegal. west up there. So. I just think it's hilarious that a paladin who is a warrior divin, a driven by divine fervor and dedication to their god would not show up to sessions a lot. I know. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe a, like a swashbuckler or something. I don't think the player is a paladin, Grant. I think the character is <laughs> Yeah, a but if you're going to make that choice, at least make it more like Listen, you. We've talked about this before. It's a, it's a real pet peeve. GMs have to do a lot of work prepping sessions. Like, if you're not doing your work as a player, it's a real bummer. Yeah, the and relative so, amount of work, if there's, <laughs> such a, there's such a chasm between the amount of work that a GM has to do and a player has to do. And if you're not willing to just show up yeah it's, uh, well if you don't you show do up it. so if you don't show up enough uh if, sessions are infrequent enough among adults right it's hard enough to get together and yeah. play <laughs> unless and, you're us right. <laughs> well these days <laughs> but if you have made this commitment and a player's not really making it for whatever reason they might have perfectly good reason what do you do with the character do you do you just kill off that character as kind of your recommendation and i don't know what, what do you have this guy do when he does come back into play this happened to jay region uh we had one of our players that needed to leave the game um and you know he had become an integral part of the story you know what did that babies 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 and uh no this was Bastard. Uh, sired my nephew this was a different uh, character <laughs> and oh you know he had to leave and i didn't want to just kill him outright because i didn't know if he would want to come back into the story so i had him uh there was an avalanche and he fell off the avalanche and when you guys went down to investigate he oh. was just gone and that's, you couldn't find the right. body I haven't oh, thought right. about that right. Right. since the last that? time we played Jade Region right. two years ago it was in our yeah. Jade Region campaign <laughs> and in my mind his story isn't over I know exactly what happened to him and I want if we ever do finish it I want to complete that storyline as well bring him back but, I mean, I, you don't know what happened <laughs> I know what happened but like that's something you can do too it's like have oh. the character go missing this guy might leave the game and then a couple weeks later or months later be like, man, I'm really missing playing Pathfinder. I, I want to get back in. And so if the GM did something like this, he can be like, I'll let you back in, but you've got to be on top of your shit, man. And I need you to be a full player. Now, here's what happened to your character. He doesn't have any feet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, I will say that uh, I've only missed a couple games of Skid's Rise of the Rune Lords campaign. Uh, but the one time I did, I believe I let the the rest of the group play my character and I believe 
another character ended up urinating on him during that session. Um, it was really strange. Uh, I don't recommend letting other people play your character or else terrible things. That happen. is what I normally do is uh, if the player is not there and we're running the character, I will have that character do all the most disgusting stuff. My friend's girlfriend's Chris Merwin's girlfriend was like, she would, she left the story and her character was like super annoying. So like we went into a room and uh, like a, a barracks, and there was like some chamber pots, like full chamber pots. And so I was just like, "All right." So she wants to exam. I she knows that there's treasure in those things. She's fairly certain. <laughs> so she's gonna get in there and just search thoroughly. Not not only that, like she's gonna stick her whole head in there and just like take. She 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 no stone unturned. And uh, it was really satisfying. <laughs> so just humiliate them and make it part of can- the canon of the world. There yeah. you go. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, stay tuned, guys, because we have some really exciting interviews coming up. And uh, we're going to continue listener mail in the interviews. What? Oh, That's oh. right. Some of your questions are going to get through to Jason Bowman and Eric Mona. So stay tuned for that. But right now, I really want to cover real quick. I want to get everybody up to speed on GCP Nation events. There's a lot going on in GCP Nation <laughs> in, sure in the coming months. Uh, and sure. And, and, and the next one up on the list is actually GCP Mid-Atlantic. That's happening on March 24th in Durham. Durham, North Carolina. Durham, right? Not yep. Durham. Durham, I Durham. believe. Durham. And your old buddy Troy's going to be there. That's what? right, Got Troy. Got my flight, yo. I'm what? coming out. Uh, I'm coming out to, to kiss babies and shake hands uh, and <laughs> shake. sign inner thighs. Shake babies and kiss hands. <laughs> shake babies and <laughs> no, kiss no, 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 Please don't shake. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't get it mixed up. All right, let me write this down. Uh, I'll remember. I'll remember. Uh, but yeah, I'm coming out. Uh, I believe that's the 24th. I'm coming out on the 23rd. I think there's going to be a little get-together uh, the night before, uh, possibly. We'll throw it up on, on the social media. And then, yeah, that day, it's just going to be gaming and hanging out and Southern hospitality. Woo! Yes, yes. And uh, we have another event, which is going to be a couple weeks after that, GCP Midwest yes. in Roselle, Illinois. Roselle, yes. AJ Taylor, our boy AJ. Our boy AJ is running that one. That one's going to coincide with PAX East, so unfortunately, we're not going to be at that one. Yeah, timing on that one was tough for us because Skid and I are still trying to do something out at PAX East. We're not 100% sure, but uh, we're, we're trying to get out there to at least do a meetup and maybe come to the con for a couple of days. Don't hold us to it, um, but uh, we have some feelers out there to see if we can get something happening that weekend. It's a shame, too, because one of my best friends from college just started listening to the show, and he loves it, and he's going to that one. And in Roselle? Like, in Roselle. It's like, are you coming? And I'm like, uh, sorry. That's a bummer. <sighs> it is a bummer, but it's far from the last GCP Midwest meetup. Yeah. I, yes. We could say that for sure. So there will, we love be, there will be other times. And the its environs. <laughs> I love Chicago. I actually do love it's Chicago. It's uh, my kind of town. It's a toddling town. <laughs> <laughs> and a week after that, one week after GCP Midwest... In a little place called New York City. Oh, New York City. <laughs> we are going to be celebrating the one-year anniversary of GCP Live, of our first ever GCP Live. This is true. By hanging a- out at Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> With GCP Live... At the Beer Garden in Astoria, Queens. Oh, uh, baby. baby. I didn't realize you were going to drop the location I on I dropped us. the wow. location so people can yep. start scouting it out and camping out. You know, I don't know how long they want to be there in advance to, to make sure they get it's in. Sure. Play. I heard Elijah Wood was spotted there once. 
That's true. Uh, That's Troy, true. why don't you give us some details on the location and the event and what people can expect? I am pretty fired up about this. You know, I said in the state of the nation, the state of the nation, that uh, in, in in my ideal vision of this GCP Live, it would be a full day's event, and we're going to make it happen. So that day it's going to start, I don't know, 11, 12 o'clock. We'll give you the full details on the website when the tickets go live, and it's going to start with organized play all day long we're going to play pathfinder society scenarios we're going to have starfinder society scenarios going at about i think 18 different tables uh i might be getting that no i think 18 tables it's 18 a gm and six players at each table oh you never played pathfinder you never played starfinder before doesn't matter you buy a ticket you show up this is going to be a a friendly atmosphere where you're going to get to learn the game with people who've been playing for 20 years and people who've been playing for 20 minutes and so after those games are over we're then going to do a gcp live show yes if you've ever seen our shows either at gen con last year or at pax unplugged or going all the way back to gcp live last year it is a good time you're going to see some of your favorite characters, some that are no longer with us, some that maybe you haven't even met yet, uh, live doing some, uh, I don't know, fantasy world, alternate universe uh, crazy thing that I'll And you also hopefully see some of uh, some other GCP personalities. Personalities. Besides just the guys in this room. Yes. So, yeah, when you come to New York, you get the New York experience. There's a lot of uh, GCP people here in New York. Now, is that it? Is that all you're going to get? No. You're also going to get a little taste. Just a taste, Skid. Can't give them the whole thing. A little preview of our upcoming Dead Sons Starfinder podcast. Yeah. We're going to play it over the loudspeakers. We're not going to play the whole episode. It's too much. It's too much, but you're going to get an advanced screening, if you will, of uh, what we the pilot could episode. not be more excited about. Mm. Uh, episode one. Yeah. So it is, uh, as Troy said, it's going to be an entire day event combining the, the GCP Live with playing games with a little tease of the pilot of our Starfinder podcast, which we have put a lot of work into and are already <laughs> well, well into and it's it's I mean I think it's awesome personally yeah, I think it's going to be great yeah, it's yeah. going to be good listen back to it it's just it smiles ear to ear I mean I'm just <laughs> loving these new characters right out of the gate these characters are eight dimensional and you just I don't know you you get really into them really quickly yeah they're cool what are, dim- cool. What are dimensions five through eight. I'll tell you after Cannonball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Should have said a theoretical physicist. Describe his characters. So, as promised, we are getting to the section of our show with one of our special guests. We, uh, As we wrapped up listener mail there, we actually had Jason Bullman walking in the studio, in the attic, and getting set up, and he's sitting down with us right now. Jason, welcome to the attic, buddy. Yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting to see you guys work. <laughs> if you could call that work, we're sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it isn't uh, it, it isn't the most difficult thing recording cannon fodder. It is it, it is our time to let our hair down and just just relax. But oh, yeah. uh, but right now it is so great to get a chance to to talk to you. I mean, we first met uh, at Gen Con. That was oh, the yeah. first time that we had ever met. We barely had time to talk, uh, I met him at PaizoCon, actually. Right. Uh, well, okay. Fantastic. <laughs> you, don't, you don't remember it after all the scotch, but that was fine. Yeah. That is true. Well, <laughs> you but, win. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we didn't really have a chance to, to talk much there about the kind of stuff that I'd love to talk to you about today, which is, you know, just questions about you and your game design and how you go sure. about it and that kind of thing. And uh, and to get a chance for you to be in New York to swing by the attic to do this is, is fantastic. So, 
I just want to introduce you to our listeners that might not know. You are the director of game design at Paizo and, and the designer behind the game that we play, Pathfinder. So just real quick, what does that in, entail, that, that position at Paizo? Well, so for me, day to day, that that pretty much means that I, I sit in a room and invent fantasy. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and mostly that means I sit around and do math so that you don't have to. Thank uh, you. Yeah, no, for your service, that. we That's primarily my you. job. Uh, so you're like Larry Flint. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those sexy, sexy numbers. Uh, <laughs> oh, seven. I can't quit you. Uh, so, no. Uh, yeah, my, my, my primary job is to make sure that the games we put out are, are fun and balanced, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, we, have a, we have a lot of games going through the, the building and uh, a lot more coming up in the future and uh, it's kind of my job to make sure that as a game they are fun and engaging and uh, kind of what uh, we think our audience wants. And you have a, a reputation, I think, in the in the industry for not only being a an excellent game designer, but being a lover of adventure and story and narrative. Yeah. Right along with it, I mean, if you look at the Pathfinder core rulebook, you open that up. One of the first things that you see is a letter from Jason Bullman to you, uh, to as an introduction to the game. And your focus is much more on the story, on the adventure aspect of getting into this and being able to feel like you're going on a great adventure. So let me ask you, there's a lot of people out there that say that the more rules that there are, the more you have to sacrifice story. And I just wonder what your response is to, to something like that as a lover of both rules and story. Balderdash! <laughs> um, no, I, I, I honestly think, um, I mean, you know, my job is making rules, right? Uh, my, my job is to sit around and and design rules that allow you to kind of play the game you want to play. But the key is that you should be playing the game you want to play. You should be telling the story you want to tell. Uh, my rules are just there to help you do that. And if they're in the way, throw them out. Uh, I'm, I'm a very strong believer in using the rules and the, the, the game to make your story better, not to obstruct the story. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, everybody's, you know, it's a social contract. Everybody's sitting around the table. Everyone expects things to work a certain way. That's how you tell a narrative together. But I do think it is well within reason just to do what you need to do to make the story move forward. As, 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 as you know, Game Master, right, one of the few times I can empathize with Troy. <laughs> Thank you in advance. Is, <laughs> is when you guys have boxed him into a corner that he needs to work his way out of rules-wise, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, and uh, when you guys are doing things to his precious, precious monsters – that, you know, I'm sure in the back of his head, he's like, oh, I really wanted that guy to be cool. And you guys just shot him in the face. Okay, yeah, well, all that, the time. that's it for him. Uh, Life is hard. Yeah, no, it is. It's just yesterday. It's, 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 it's rough. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the rules of the game, right? You know, I, I live and breathe them every day. But they're really just there to be a tool. And that, that tool is to help you tell a good story. And the story has to come first. Um, obviously, if the if the rules mean nothing, then then all we're doing is sitting around and telling a cooperative story, and that can be fun too, right? I mean, I've certainly played games that are basically just that. Um, but it's hard to find the challenge in that. Where's the yeah. challenge in that storytelling? Well, beyond I, just the challenge of creativity, I think I think to some extent the rules help give us a frame that allows us to kind of uh, express the story in a more 
deep and meaningful way, right? The rules allow you to, you know, explore the possibilities of what could be in a way that everyone else can interpret and pick up the clues on and kind of help build with. If, if you're just sitting around telling a story, well, then it could be anything and, and no one knows what to expect or, or how to play with it. So it, it messes with people's expectations. I think there's like, even if you're just playing pretend, like as a kid, there's still rules. Yeah. It's like, the, okay, the couch is base. Like, you're safe on the couch. Like, there's always some kind of framework. And that's all, like, Pathfinder, the rule system is, is, like, that kind of framework. Giving you an understood framework for everyone to work with. Yeah, it's, it's the structure of the, the story in the world, right? I mean, you know that elves do a certain thing. You know that dwarves do a certain thing. You know that fighters do a certain thing. And that helps everyone understand the story. It's a, it's a shorthand yeah. to allow us to share an imaginative space. Well, this shorthand of rules is something that you – Created now, it is built on the shoulders of other game designers throughout oh. throughout the the ages, and you oh, and and by far more than me at, at just Paizo as well, right? I mean, we right. we had we had you know back then over a dozen people had their hands in this in some way, shape, or form, and you know, I I I, I like to say that when I'm in the office, I, I type like a muppet, right? I just kind of slam my hands where <laughs> it's happen. Um, but, you know, uh, if it weren't for uh, uh, an entire host of incredibly talented developers and editors, uh, you know, and playtesters, we wouldn't have the game we have. So, I mean, so I, I did all my of that, part. But. All of that work that you put into it and that, all, that your team put into it, what did it mean to you to see that, that core rulebook, that beautifully published core rulebook hit shelves and go worldwide and become the phenomenon that it did? I... I still kind of don't believe any of this is happening. Uh, like, I mean, you know, seven, eight years ago when, you know, when I, when I first pitched it to, to, to the folks at Paizo, because it was basically a bunch of my home rules. And, you know, we, we didn't have a, a place to go. We didn't know what the future was going to hold. And I just kind of pitched to, uh, you know, Lisa and Eric and, and some of the folks at a big company meeting, uh, you know, hey, we could, we could publish my, my game. And uh, they they took a look at it, and I, I got a whole bunch of skeptical kind of okay. <laughs> uh, and a week later, basically, it was like, okay, we're publishing that, <laughs> and we're going to make it a game called Pathfinder, and you are now in charge of it. And I said, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was like, oh, and by the way, the first document releases in about two months <laughs> oh as an God. alpha PDF, and I'm like. I, I just have a bunch of chicken scratch notes on the back of a napkin. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, so, I mean, from then, kind of all the way till now has just been kind of a whirlwind, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, from from the beta coming out in, you know, uh, oh, oh, eight. eight and blowing out the doors. Like, we, we, we printed a lot of those and they disappeared before it even came out. Uh to the release of the core rulebook vanishing off store shelves so fast we had to reprint before it even released. <laughs> um, like, it, none of it seems real. And, you know, especially when I get handed, you know, oh, here's a copy of your game in Portuguese. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Who even did this? Right? But What's Obrigado. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't remotely even understand how this has happened. And to get, like, I get some of the strangest awesome amazing fan mail in the universe i'm like one of the luckiest guys where like total random strangers will send me these totally heartfelt email messages or facebook messages just telling me thank you so much your game helped my child 
come out of his shell and make friends at school or, you know, your game is the one thing that pulls my family together once a week to sit down together and play, even though, you know, the rambunctious teenager doesn't want anything to do with us except for game night. <laughs> right. You know, mm. um, and it's, it's crazy. It doesn't it, it doesn't seem real. Uh, well, it's been a decade, almost a decade since this has since it was first released. And it was. And you said, obviously, you worked so hard on it and your whole team worked hard on it, editing and, and making sure that everything was, was as tight as it could be. They also did a beta with, with uh, play testers to really fine tune everything. And, and the game obviously was, was extremely well received and it sold very well and people loved it. But yet, as the years have gone on, you've released more and more and more content that either updates or changes or supplements the rules in a, a variety of different ways. Do you think that a game like Pathfinder has to evolve over time and change in its basic mechanics? And, and if so, why do you think that is? Well, I think every game changes and evolves over time. Pathfinder certainly has. I, I, I think it's now a very different game than it was when it first launched eight years ago. I mean, just if you look one year later when we introduced archetypes as a concept, the game was – that was it. The game was now a different game. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was really – that was the moment when the game kind of became ours, right? We, we started with the, a, a, the skeleton of 3.5 and built a game out of it. But when the Advanced Players Guide hit, everything I changed. I everything changed. Uh, for us, that was the moment where people went, oh, this is really different now. This allows you to do different things that the previous game didn't allow you to do in any way. Um, and from you know, then to now, we've been you know, bolting on and experimenting with whole entirely different rule systems. Every, uh, each one of the adventures books, occult adventures, mythic adventures, horror adventures, um, those are like new ways to play the game. Right, it's mm -hmm. like take this book, add it to your game. It's like a template for your game. So we're always trying to uh, expand the way that people play and uh, the tools that they have to kind of tell the story they want to tell. Right. So if you want to tell a horror game, you break out horror adventures. You start tossing around afflictions. You let people take some of the stuff out of that book. Next week, you know, if you want to just you know play uh, uh, a long overland trek, you break out ultimate wilderness and you start using some of those rules. Uh, so these books, these big supplements that add a lot of new rules to one aspect, are they usually generated in-house by, by your designers or do they come from fans that write these ideas and then they, they germinate and become uh, something that you feel needs to be added to the game? So uh, the process by which we actually make rule books is uh, a little bit more complicated than that. So what ends up happening is we will sit around and, and have a lengthy discussion about what we want to see out of the next book. Um, and usually that'll start with the germination of like an idea or a theme, uh, you know, so let's just take ultimate wilderness, for example, uh, for that book, we said, you know, we've done all these other ultimate books. The one that we haven't done is the one to cover like druids and rangers and kind of outdoor exploration and things like that. So we should really, you know, do a book that covers the, that theme as a topic, right? You know, we, we, there's definitely some rules there that we could mine. There's definitely some directions we could go that we shelved in previous books because it didn't fit theme. Um, so, you know, we, we basically started out with that nugget. That nugget got turned into an outline of ideas. And we, we sat around with the team and we brainstormed up, okay, so we want, a, we want a chapter that's just every familiar in every book we've ever published. Let's bring all of them into one book because it's really kind of a pain in the ass to go between yeah. 20 different sources looking for all your familiars. Uh, let's do the same thing for Animal Companions. Let's give uh, some more robust rules for getting lost in the wilderness. Let's, let's you know, deal with nature magic more. Let's make sure we include plenty of druid spells. Um, 
And, you know, we, we wandered around the topic and we came up with the shifter as a, uh, as a class idea for it. And um, at that point in time, we kind of look at all the pieces that we have and we go, okay, which ones of these are designed heavy lift and which ones are light lift? Heavy lift are things like classes, entire rules subsystems, things that, to be honest, we have to take and apply kind of game design science to, which involves kind of reverse baking out numbers, making sure that the numbers as they are expressed in formulas turn into a satisfying play experience over time. It's really boring stuff that no one wants to hear about. Um, but, you know, we, we spend a great deal of time working the math side of it. I mean, uh, I wasn't joking earlier. A lot of my job is is sitting around doing math so that you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we'll do those parts internally. Classes, we always do internally. Um, new subsystems, we do those internally. For all the other parts, like, oh, here's more feats. Generally speaking, what we'll do is we'll come up with a giant list of what we think should be in the feats chapter, but then we'll actually hire a freelancer to do some of that design work. Oh. And then when it comes in, we'll go through and develop it and make sure it, A, is what we ordered, and B, is living up to our standards for the game. So the the books end up being a big mix of kind of internal design and external freelance. And sometimes people inside the building will take external freelance and do it themselves. Mm-hmm. But whenever you look inside of a, a Pathfinder rulebook and you see the author list, if they don't work at Paizo, that means that they did part of it as freelance. So, uh, you know, these books are pretty big and we can't write them all ourselves. Uh, to write, you know, you know, a several hundred page book, uh, one team of people would need six to eight months to write every word of it themselves. We don't have that kind of time. Yeah. So... Well, the time that you're putting in on on these designs of all the things that you're working on and all the math and everything, I imagine that you must have some, you know, some nights where you go very late, uh, where it's huh. just sort of uh, you're <laughs> locked in a room and, and there's too much work to do and too little time to do it. And I just kind of wonder in general when somebody is working a job like that where, you, you know, the hours are the deadlines that you have to hit and the hours are so brutal. What is it about game design and, and what you do at Paizo that, that makes you want to do that, that makes you want to put in that extra time and, and, and energy? Well, I think, you know, if, if I look at the, my, my, my fellow designers, and this certainly applies to our developers and editors uh, as well uh, and, our, and our graphic designers, um, all of them have a passion for games, right? And, and we all kind of believe in what we're making, and that really helps. Um, and, you know... Uh, I, as kind of the manager of the design team, try to make sure that, you know, we are we, – we, we put in crunch time when we have to, but I make sure to give everyone the right release valve and, you know, be like, okay, well, this week we're back to normal. Nobody needs to work overtime, you know. Um, but, yeah, you're not wrong. When a book gets close to ship time, there's oftentimes long hours that need to happen. Now, for us in design, those happen way earlier than anybody else because <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. we, we get done with the book, then it gets handed off to dev and edit and – uh, so our crunch time tends to happen like eight months before the book is arrives on store shelves. <laughs> and people are like, why are they working so hard? It's November. <laughs> and I'm like, nothing comes out in November. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but that book that comes out in August is what we just finished. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so uh, we, we, we tend to work anywhere from eight months to a year and a half to two years in advance on books. So, I mean, you know, like I know you're working on stuff right now that I mean, that's I I currently have 2019. I have 20. I have late 2019 and early 2020 books (laughs) in the 
very first stages right can now. i see all right. him yeah what no. are all, what, what are all <laughs> of those <laughs> we see all of them. no hold him i'm going through his bag <laughs> <laughs> jason we'll need you to stay on mic we need you to stay on mic uh well you know what I, actually i want to jump on that thing you said about somebody's you know your your design team's release valve the ability to get away from the game for a second maybe do something else and i'm kind of curious i know that you are a board gamer i mean we've pl- oh, yeah. played board games with you at gen con and just getting away from the pathfinder thing for a second what uh what would you say is some of your favorite board games to recommend to people that, that like playing board games? And then on top of that, can you name a board game or two that where the design is just amazing to you? Where is the, the game so, design itself is so brilliant? Yeah, so uh, I, I like to think of myself as a student of games, right? And and there's always more to learn and there's always more to experience. And And to be honest, if it has the word game associated with it, I will at least learn how it works, right? Uh, there's plenty of games out there that are not for me, but I will still sit down and heartily and enjoyingly play them mm-hmm. just so that I can understand what it is and what it's trying to do. Um, currently, a few weeks ago, we I just had some friends over to play Dead of Winter. Uh, I've heard about this. Oh, it's delightful. I saw yeah. and played it. Yeah, you're all survivors of a zombie apocalypse, and it's winter because <laughs> because that makes it worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, you're, you're basically fighting in amongst yourselves for resources and trying to accomplish incredibly difficult objectives. Uh, and there's a chance that one of you might be a traitor Ooh, to the whole colony who element. just wants to see you all fail. <laughs> um, but you never know because you like deal out two goal cards for each character. So there's you know if there's five players, there's ten of these goal cards. And then you put in an 11th card, which is the betrayer card. You shuffle them all up and deal everybody one card. So there's about a 50-50 chance one of you is there to betray everybody, but no one knows. But in some <laughs> games, there's no traitor at yeah, all. As a matter of fact, yeah. there wasn't in our game. Uh, so that game's a lot of fun. Uh, right now, I'm just kind of wandering around uh, a lot of kind of the more modern games. Uh, we just started playing Gloomhaven, uh, oh, yeah. I don't know which that is one. A, one of the most ridiculously overwrought, overproduced games I have ever played. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's awesome. It is like an entire campaign in a box. Wow. And uh, so you pick these characters, and you're playing in this giant, uh, uh, this giant world-spanning adventure. There's like 96 adventures, and you play your your characters are persistent. You bring them back from game over game. It, it's filled with miniatures. The box weighs over 20 pounds. Oh man! Uh, it it has so much content in it. I I doubt I could actually experience it all in a short period of like. It, I've had friends who are like, "Hey, I've been playing that for a year." Um, <laughs> and it, you know, it didn't surprise me at all when you mentioned it that Grant was the one that knew it. I mean, yeah. when it comes to like twenty-pound games with a million miniatures and all kinds of <laughs> oh, in-depth stuff, that's right up Grant's it's alley. It's ridiculously awesome. No, it, but you asked me what type of game I, uh, that I'm really impressed with the design of, and and there's one game that I always like to mention. Uh, this uh, a friend of mine uh, back in Seattle introduced me to this game, and it it it's a game that you sit down and play together, um, but. Halfway through, you realize you're not actually playing a game at all. You're playing a simulator. It's called High Frontier. What? It uh, has a map that's about the size of you guys' table. So it's about four foot by six foot. Oh, <laughs> and it's so a, you need the attic. Hold on. Play it. <laughs> it's, it's a map of the solar system. Oh. And you are various space agencies trying to get things into orbit. And it's all based off real science. It was designed by some guys who had friends at like – JPL and NASA, oh my and God. it's ridiculous. Like 
Like, I remember I've never been more excited in my life when I got finally enough wet mass at the low orbit Lagrange point so that I could do the right transfer and move my probe towards Mars. And, and to be clear, it crashed there and I stranded everyone on that planet and they died. <laughs> but I have never had more fun. It's it's ridiculous. It is one of the most that complicated, awesome. insane games I have ever played, and 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 like every there's no goal, there's no winning, there's just <laughs> trying to do things <laughs> and failing spectacularly. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Yeah. Well, uh, the the timing is is perfect as you wrap that up because we have a, a the our next special guest has arrived, walked in the room, ladies and gentlemen, sitting down, getting on mic is now Eric Mona. Oh, hello, my friends. <laughs> we it's stuck around. Right wonderful to be back. <laughs> Eric, your old is, buddy Arconeth. This is my friend Jason. Oh, uh, hello. Jason, do you guys know each other? I do. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know Jason we very are well. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so both of you guys are, are in New York City, and we're so kind to, to stop by and see us at the attic here. You guys had different meetings at different times, so you had yeah. to stagger your arrival. But, I mean, the timing is amazing. We just finished up talking to Jason, and now we get to talk to Eric Mona. Now, many of our listeners know you, Eric. You've been on the show before. You've been on Cannon Fighter before. Indeed. You've performed with us live. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so <laughs> I both won and lost humiliatingly with you guys. <laughs> yes. In <laughs> Battle Royales before the, You're the one general and one. public. You're yes. one and one. <laughs> one, and one. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to sit with us. For those listeners that might not know who Eric Mona is, he is the publisher at Paizo for all of their content that goes out. If you open up a a book that Paizo puts out next to publisher, you'll see Eric Mona on yep. every single one of those. He's been there since the beginning, came out of Dragon Magazine and went right into the Paizo and Pathfinder thing and uh, is, is out there killing it, traveling the country and uh, as an ambassador for Paizo and Pathfinder. Uh, everywhere. I so, guess, yeah. <laughs> certainly here in New York at Toy Fair this weekend. Yes, yes, and that's why we were able to grab you. So uh, let me ask you just to start, as a uh, as a publisher, you know, you, your name is on there as a publisher, and when yeah. I uh, see things about you online, it, it says that you're a mix of, you're a publisher, but you're also a writer, and you're an editor. Yeah, and yeah. There's other things that you do, and you're heavily involved in the, the Pathfinder worldscape as a writer, and I just wonder, with that job... Uh, do you get to write as much as you like, and is that something that you wish you could do more of? Um, no, I don't get to write as much as I'd like, honestly. I, my, I have two titles, essentially. My title is a publisher, but also I'm the chief creative officer at Paizo. So all of the creative staff, which is to say the the you know editors and the developers and the art staff and, and those folks, the game designers, Jason, they all report to me, essentially. And so I get to kind of guide them. They all have uh, are far more talented at their various tasks than, than I am, but they... Um, yeah, so basically I've been running that for quite some time and and that, you know, over the years has resulted in sort of some of the business stuff taking on more and more of a role and and so I I do still get to write, but I I don't write as much as I'd like. And you were involved in I mean, how much of the worldscape was your actual Well, the the Pathfinder worldscape is a comic book through Dynamite that's uh, crosses over Pathfinder with like Red Sonia and uh, Tarzan and John Carter of Mars. And that was pretty much my idea from start to finish. Um, we've done six normal issues of that, all of which I wrote. And then there were uh, two uh, sort of sub-series of like four special issues that were l- released through Humble Bundles. Mm-hmm. And I wrote all but three of those. So so was that really exciting just to get oh, – sorry. 
It was really good. Oh. It. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun to do. I mean, it was like, it, I, I sort of, um, you know, when I was a little kid, I liked to play uh, with Star Wars figures, and I liked to play with G.I. Joe figures, and most of the time, those worlds wouldn't collide. I was enough of a nerd to keep those things yeah. separate. But every once in a while, it'd be fun to kind of throw all your toys in a pile. And, and you know, my, my little friend Richie and I would... Uh, you know, we'd each put our own toys. We didn't have all of them or anything. So, you know, he'd have his and we'd have mine and then we'd pick, you know. And so I might get to play with some of his that day or whatever. And I, some of the most fun was those random ones where it's just like, I'm going to put Snake Eyes against Boba Fett or whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, was, uh, it was neat to get to do that, you know, in a comic book. I didn't like other people touching my toys because I was afraid their hands were dirty. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Shocker. Surprise. I would make you people right. wash their hands before they, like, played my Nintendo or touched my <laughs> I think I can definitely... Definitely understand that now. Like, uh, I'll go to like packs, you know, one of the big packs, <laughs> and it's like you can stand in line for three hours to touch a controller that's been touched by four thousand people. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Uh, but back then, I think I was just like, but it's Snake Eyes, yeah. you know. So. How many opportunities are you gonna get? Right, exactly, exactly. Well, you say you don't get as much of a chance to write as as you would like, and yeah. let me ask you a question, just hypothetical. So, yeah. for a moment, let's say you were you were never at at Paizo, right, and you for never a were a part okay. of this industry so in depth right. that you could actually maybe play an RPG, uh, a, a Pathfinder well, RPG. I do, I do play like, Pathfinder on a regular basis, at least. So, when, when you, if you had a chance to GM a, a Pathfinder yeah. game, and let's say it was an adventure path you hadn't touched at all or anything like mm-hmm. that, are, are you more inclined, to, just naturally as a GM, to want to to homebrew, or would you prefer to run an adventure path, um, something that's pre-written? That's a great question, because I've done an awful lot of both. Um, and I think that a lot of it would depend on the kind of level of commitment I have from the other players. So if it was something I knew we were only going to be able to get together for six sessions, I might do like a module, or I might do something that was a pre-programmed thing. But if it was something where it was like a, a fake nerd marriage, and we're like, it's going to go forever until we start <laughs> hating each other, then I, I would be more akin to try to do something fully original. And even when I, I will say, even when I tend to run, um, say, an adventure path adventure or a module, um, I tend to let the players kind of go crazy. And so if they want to leave the dungeon, that's just as fun for me than just kind of staying within the rails. To just sort of start writing, yeah, just and riff off of right what they want to do. Yeah, for the longest time, like I did a lot of uh, campaigning um, in high school. Uh, I played with a lot of local friends, and that campaign was a hundred percent ad libbed, a hundred percent. It was just basically it was a a, a city based campaign, and um, we I had the map out and had some broad plot lines and things. But basically, it was just like, what do you guys want to do? You know, and it was a lot of um, random encounter charts and stuff. And so sometimes, so you things, didn't have every faction of every no, nation. No, I didn't. No, all no, 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 no. <laughs> but what would happen is like, okay, they want to go to the store, and then I'd be like, uh, look around and you know, see a bottle of Perrier and be like, the guy at the store's name is Pierre or whatever. <laughs> and then next time they would go out to the store, I'd have notes and I was keeping cards, and then the, the city kind of grew organically. And then um, after coming out here uh, in 1999, um, and by out here I mean to Seattle and worked at Wizards of the Coast, I joined in Monty Cook's Tallest campaign, which was similar. It was a big city, and he had some planned out stuff, but again, it was very much like, what do you guys want to do? Now, he was smarter um, in that he would sort of say at the end of the session, what do you guys think you might do next week or whatever? And then he'd spend mm, the week huh. prepping for it. Um, but because, And then the last kind of puzzle is I did, and this is how I met Jason, actually, is I was really heavily involved in the RPGA network, the organized play thing for D&D. And I probably ran, you know, four or 500 uh, scenarios over various years in front of 
total strangers. I also was a player, so I played in front of literally hundreds of DMs and uh, by kind of learning best practices from other people that I'd played with and then frankly just getting my fear completely blown out by screwing up and making every mistake you can make and, and, and realizing that even if you flub a call or something, as long as everyone's laughing and having fun, you know, you really can't beat up yourself because you're doing what you're supposed to do, which is to facilitate a good time on behalf of everybody. And so I tend to be pretty fearless now. So I'm kind of like, whatever, you know, it's like, give me a module, I'll run a module. You want to just kind of start in a tavern and see where we end up? I'm down with that too. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that kind of experience would definitely lend itself to that to that confidence. Yeah. And, but you got to start somewhere. Everybody's got to start somewhere. Yeah, and I think that for the people who literally do have to start, I mean, the way I started and the way I would recommend starting is with the, the prepackaged adventures because it just takes a lot of variables out of it. You don't have to worry about, oh, God, I got to make the stat blocks. You don't have to worry about even the maps, you know. Um, I think early on I was like, I'm not, I'm more of a word person than an art person. So I would always be a little self-conscious about making maps and things. And it's like, <laughs> it was easier just to you know, basically use somebody else's. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about a, a recent release uh, that you put out there that you published. Uh, yeah. Packed Worlds for yes. Starfinder just released. Yes. It just dropped. Yes. I personally am, was really looking forward to it. And I actually haven't had a chance to look at it, unfortunately, yet. Yeah. And I just wonder if you could tell me and, and our listeners, what is it that our listeners can expect from, from Packed Worlds? What's in there? Well, the Packed Worlds book is an overview of the various system, uh, various planets in the Packed Worlds system, the, the kind of core worlds of the Starfinder campaign world campaign setting and unlike pathfinder uh starfinder kind of bakes the 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 uh, planetary systems into the rules itself so we uh with with fantasy you can be like okay our, our races are elf and dwarf and you know and people know what you're talking about right but with science fiction it's a little bit harder because most of the sort of uh, lingua franca monsters and aliens are proprietary so you could say oh yeah you know there's a there's a Klingon and a Wookiee and a, and people know what you're talking about, but it, that requires a licensing fee and <laughs> <laughs> isn't really what we were going for with Starfinder anyway. And so, um, it was, ne- it was a necessity to kind of contextualize the Kasatha and the Sheeran and all that kind of stuff. And so we did that. Um, and in the core rule book, each planet gets like a spread or four pages of material. And in this book, each, each planet gets a legit chapter with, Themes for characters from the from the that realm with oh uh, new themes yeah new themes that's Very great exciting. yeah and and also um, there's um, new monsters and there's um, there's uh, starships as well so lots of of uh, game mechanic stuff to kind of make those planets come alive uh, when you travel to them we'll explore a lot of those planets and things like the adventure path and whatnot as well but uh, packed worlds is the, the the deepest dive we've done so far in the campaign setting. Well, I imagine that in, throughout the creation process of Starfinder, your l- personal love of science fiction, and uh, I know that you're into like pulp sci-fi yeah. stuff, old school sci-fi yeah. stuff. I, had, I have to imagine that some of that found its way in, into Starfinder. Yeah. And uh, there's, a, there's a page in that book that we've talked about on Cannon Fodder months ago when we first were, were really digging into the book called the Inspirational Media page. Yeah. We were saying, oh, what of this do we know? What do we not know? I personally didn't know a lot of it. Right. Uh, what, what on that page is like is distinctly oh, you and uh, um, what would you recommend that's there? That's interesting. So, um, okay, so let me go way, way, way back. And that is, um, first of all, everyone should understand that although I'm in my early 40s, I have the mind of a 96-year-old man. So I'm <laughs> very interested in, you know, early science fiction, things from the 1890s to the 1930s, stuff like that. I, I, I'm always... Um, 
I'm like a giant pedantic nerd. And so like I always want to understand the beginnings of things, you know. So when I was into comics as a kid, uh, I got uh, this giant treasury edition of All-Star Comics number three or whatever, the first appearance of the Justice Society of America. And I'd never even heard of that before. I knew the Justice League of America. So I'm like, what is the Justice Society? And it's like, oh, well, it's the Flash is in it. And I'm like, the Flash? You mean the guy in the metal helmet? What the hell is that? You know. And so <laughs> learning that there were older versions of a lot of these characters that I knew – I think it, it, when I was like eight, always kind of it like tripped a switch in my brain. So I've always wanted to go back further and further and further and understand the beginnings of things. Huh. So my, I guess, sort of interest and my collecting um, insofar as science fiction is concerned is is heavily aimed at early pulps and things. And, and so when um, before Starfinder was uh, was anything other than an independent series of notes in my computer and Jason's computer of like something <laughs> we should do this one day, obviously. <laughs> It was um, it was just part of the Pathfinder you know world. We we wanted uh, I wanted very much not just to detail the planes um, as have been done in fantasy gaming forever, but also the different planets in the Starfinder world. And I was very interested in the idea of science fantasy. And uh, so one of the things that I made sure that we did, and and I got to give ninety percent of the credit, if not ninety nine percent of the credit, of designing the. Um, the, the essentially what will become the Pact Worlds, the worlds of the Galarian star system. That was really James Sutter, uh, the first uh, creative director for Starfinder, who made up most of it. But I was insistent that you know that we've got to have certain things that kind of spoke to the the pulp um, sensibility of, of science fiction, and that meant having a sort of a Mars analog, the Red Planet, and having a, a sort of a, a, a gas-choked jungle Venus, you know. And <laughs> so there are some very specific um, allusions to some fantasy stuff and some si- early science fiction in that, like, for example, the the creature's called the Formians. This is going to get really nerdy, everyone. Everyone put on <laughs> your 96-year-old brain. For <laughs> the Formians are uh, ant creatures that entered, I think, entered D&D around the time of the Manual of the Plains. And... Um, I learned in the the course of my reading and research that they're actually from a series of uh, planetary romance books, planetary romance being like John Carter of Mars and and Earthman transported to a scenic locale in a different world. And uh, they were from these uh, these books called the Radio Man books by a guy named Ralph Milne Farley. Any Farley fans in the house? <laughs> I, I prefer late Farley. Yeah. So uh, good, old, Farley. good old Ralph Milne uh, was actually a, a United States senator, which is pretty weird. Whoa. But um, but he wrote these books about uh, about uh, Venus. So he had Venus, you know. So so Burroughs starts by by staking out Mars, and then uh, Ralph Milne Farley's like, I think I'd quite like to do Venus, and then he did these things, and the, it was about um, Earthmen and and women going to to Venus. And fighting against these like creatures called Cupians who uh, have antennas and and sometimes they have wings and they're just like little Cupid doll kind of people, mm-hmm. cute like weird sort of noble savage crap. And um, <laughs> and then the uh, the villains, the bad guys, were these frankly kind of awesome like ant men um, called Formians. And so to know that, I mean, I already knew that like. You know, D&D had taken a lot of their demons and devils from, like, Christian mythology, and they'd taken, you know, a lot of monsters. The Tarasque is from France, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was interested in historical origins of monsters. And so learning about the Formians, I was like, okay, 
I've never understood how these ant people fit into the D and D cosmos, and and hence I never really understood how they fit into the Pathfinder cosmos. But I'm like, we're putting them on the green planet because that's where they belong. Goddammit, you know. And so, <laughs> um, and so uh, ultimately, the uh, as a riff, kind of an homage to the the Cupians, that's what became the Lashunta. And so the Lashunta exist and are from Castrovel because of Ralph Milne Farley's science fiction adventures oh, in like the wow. 1920s. So. No one cares except me. Uh, <laughs> but that's the power that you get, I guess, when you're the publisher, is to live your weird, lone, solitary fantasies. <laughs> don't, don't worry, Eric. I care. Okay. Thank you, <laughs> but, but only because you pay me to. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. Now, is so, it true that the Sheeran uh, came from Ed Sheeran? That is not true. Um, I don't know where I read that, but I'm glad I got it from. Was that yeah. the Paizo blog? Yeah, yeah the Paizo no, blog. Yeah. No. Is it bad that I didn't even know who Ed Sheeran was until I saw him on Game of Thrones? No, no you're 96. <laughs> you're fine. It's fine. Yeah, okay. It's expected. All right. Yeah. All right. So one more thing about Starfinder. While we're talking about the inspirational reading list, yeah, yeah. oh right, there's a huge error in the Starfinder core rulebook, and, it, and it, it's, I think it's the error that I'm most ashamed of in anything that I've ever published. What? Wow. Go yeah. on. We told you. <laughs> this is an all-new canon know this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the reason why it frustrates me is I actually caught this error in final flip-throughs before we sent it to the printer. And the format for that is we actually print everything out on 11 by 17, and, and all the executives look through every page, and, and a lot of the editors look through everything again, and it's invaluable. We always find some things in the last minute. And usually it's like, oh, this the foot of this illustration is covering a word or something like that, you know. But um, every once in a while, it's something more substantive. And as I was flipping through the list of inspirational um, reading and film and things, um, I noticed that uh, we had listed uh, Total Recall on the uh, <laughs> list of movies. And I thought that was appropriate because Total Recall is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but then I looked to the credit that came after it and it it said director I don't know some shit that was not Paul Verhoeven Ooh. it was the new version <gasps> like the, oh, some someone had sort of accidentally like oh, someone no. who's probably younger than me like was like oh Total Recall let's, let's verify who the writer is and like put googled in, it yeah, yeah whatever you know and put in for the remake and oh, I'm like oh man. thank god I caught this you know put a post it on and then somehow that post it must have fallen off no. you know on it's way to editorial no. so if you look Exactly. Exactly. Shame. Exactly. I like Shame. when I saw that thing come in, you know, I, and I checked to make sure because I'm like, we got that error, right? And like my face was looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger breathing Martian atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes are popping out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so. Don't uh, brutal. You can fix it in two weeks. Yes. We will get that fixed uh, once we have the opportunity to go in and do a, a hearty errata. But, um,. You heard it from the Glass Cannon podcast first. That is the most <laughs> shameful error of anything I've published in my entire career. And I understand and, why, and, too. And, yeah. Joe, to you, to all of the GCP people here, and in fact, to the entire GCP nation, I apologize. <laughs> oh, that's not Thanks. necessary. Not, I'm not, not sure. Not accepted. I, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I, th I think Skid speaks for all the listeners. I wasn't says, looking for we absolution. We don't accept it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are uh, so excited. I can't say it enough to have both of you guys here that I wanted to do something I thought would be a little fun for our listeners who write into us uh, day in and day out with listener mail questions. We can't really always get to them all, but we love to pick some. And, 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 and I thought, what if we could ask a couple questions while Jason and Eric are in the room and uh, have you guys weigh in on it. So uh, let, let's throw this out there. Um, oh 
We have, uh, but first, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna play the song again. I'm gonna play the song again. All right, so the first one is going to come from Shady Pete in Indianapolis. Oh, love that name. He sounds trustworthy. (laughs) Good job, Shady Pete. He wants my bank account number. (laughs) Well, all right, that's the question. (laughs) He writes in, and and there's um, there is a decent amount of backstory to this, and I don't think we need all of it. I'll just I'll just generally say that you know it comes to a situation where you're playing and you're GMing the game, and there's a a question about the rules, and there's a conflict, and it, it you go on to the forums and such, and People have discussed it, but there's no definitive answer either way, and you just can't really decide what to do. But it looks like the decision that you as the GM feel is most fair and most you know, physically real and what is most likely to occur is definitely in your favor, quote-unquote, as the GM. So he says, how do you guys make decisions when the rules aren't clear and you're conflicted about a decision you think heavily works in your favor and could be seen as you abusing your power as a GM? What do you do in that situation? Jason Bullman. Abusing your power as GM, that's my stock in trade. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, if that's what's good for the story, do it. I, I, that's it. The, there is actually a rule to support that. It's the first rule in the book that says, do what you will with these rules, just tell a good story. Yeah. Right? And and that's it, right? I mean, uh, yeah, sometimes it is really in your favor, and sometimes it's really in the player's favor. But whatever tells a good story, that's the rule you should go with. Troy, have you felt uh, pressured before on the show to make decisions where rules were unclear to make decisions in favor of players because you don't want them to get upset? Have you felt that pressure before, or do you kind of just stick with your guns no matter what? It's it's tough. It, it depends. If you've been upset for a long time and I need to give you a W, I tend to lean on that. But if I haven't upset you in a while, it's it's my turn to have... Uh, you know, a good time. <laughs> for the record, you've been set upsetting me for about three years. Oh. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> and then just to, to run that back to clarify, having a good time is making players miserable, right? Sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. GM oh. always knows what's best. <laughs> oh, There's nothing like being able to walk away from the table with a bit of strut, you know, being like, yeah, I made those guys miserable. <laughs> yeah. But I've always said this before. It's, ad- it's the adversity in those moments that always makes the successful moments that much sweeter. Yes, that is absolutely true. Yeah, and I think that as a GM, it is, yes, you want to make sure that you are being as fair as possible. And if it happens to go your way, it, it happens to go your way. But remember the your way thing, that's that's fundamentally a bad way to look at it. You really do want to think about it as all, uh, in all times as a group setting where you're working together. It's not the GM versus the players. That's not the kind of environment you want to create and, and, and foster. So your decision, even though it's in the GM's favor this time, it should swing back the other way another time. And it all comes back, as we say a lot of times, to trusting your GM. You know? And as a player, if a GM makes a decision on an ambiguous rule that seems to favor the monster, you got to deal with it. You, just, you have to deal with it and power through. And if you can overcome that, as you said, Troy, that's going to make it even that much sweeter. All right, I'd like to throw in one tip that kind of comes even before you're at the table when you're sort of adjudicating in your head and you're like, I'm not really sure how to apply this rule or the rules seem unclear. You can always text Bullman. His number is... <laughs> what? No, 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 stop, stop. <laughs> what a great resource. Yeah. It's been working for me for like 10 years. You so. son of a bitch, you were actually reading it. That's, <laughs> that is really not cool. That, that is a good tip. That is a good, I'm going to start using that. So, 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 so funny story. In in my early days, uh, uh, after after we published the core rulebook, 
I'm at home. Oh, man. It's a Saturday night. <laughs> it's about 10 o'clock at night, and my phone rings. <laughs> and I'm like, I look down at my phone, and it says, Lisa Stevens. And I'm like, the owner of the company is calling me on a Saturday night. Oh, my God, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Am I fired? Did the building burn down? What's happening? And I, I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, hey, Lisa, this is Jason. What's, what's up? And she asked me a rules question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember even what it was because I was so stupefied of being like, well, I mean, I guess I have to answer. I mean, I'm not hourly. So, you know, this is just mandatory overtime. I'm all right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Shady Pete, so much for writing in with that one. Let's get one more in here. This one from Jacob in Norman, Oklahoma. Norman, Oklahoma is Oklahoma State? Norman, University Oklahoma. Oklahoma. University of Oklahoma. Norman, Oklahoma gotcha. is uh, the original home of uh, Paizo developer Owen Casey Stevens. Oh. oh. All right. I've been to Norman. Yes, you have. Oh. I have. Oh, it's you, you said, right? So you oh, know no. Jacob. I know Jacob, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they were in the Sweet. same tornado together. Yes. <laughs> That's what I know. He, it all went by so fast. <laughs> Jacob from North. <laughs> it's like a whirlwind. <laughs> Cannon fodder bottle caps. Boom. There you go. Boom. Totally useless. Uh, <laughs> Jacob writes in and he asks, when a character dies, how do you handle wealth? It does seem like you, and by you he means us, the GCP, follow character wealth by level upon creation rules. So when you're creating a new character that's fifth level, they get, I can't remember what it is, it's 9,000 gold or something like that uh, to, to create your character. It seems like you do that, and I do as well. However, I'm just wondering, does that not add a huge influx of funds to your world? What do you guys think? Jason Bullman, designer of the game. Do you think that that's a problem? Should people worry about that? No, no, no. I, I, whenever I kill a character, all their wealth comes to me. That's how that works, right? I just get to, like, I, I, I break out the, you know, the stick and I just pull it across the table and that's mine now. That's my share. This is, this he is, has that stick. Yeah, that's no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that is a, that's kind of a classic problem of like, oh, the character died. And I always enjoy that moment where everyone's like, let's have a moment of silence. I take his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his plus three rank. Yeah, no. And it's Matthew's like, made a career out of it's that. Like, it's like the corpse literally isn't even cold yet. And they're like, well, I mean, technically he's only at neg 12. He hasn't bled out yet, but I mean, he's going to. So I'm just going to start taking his stuff. Like, he's still like, save me. No, shut up. You're done. It's, it um, says donor on his driver's license. Yeah, no, so I just thought that meant his cloak. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, I, I think as GM you have to uh, – there's always tricks for, like, making sure that the economy balances itself back out. Um, you can always uh, downshift the treasure that they get for a little bit. Or you can come up with more creative ways, like, you know, oh, yeah, you arrived at this kingdom. Well, you know, we have a tax on your type here, you know, and just well, that's all, a good of a, one. all of a sudden they have to pay some money oh, or, yeah. you know, there's lots of ways to kind of balance some of that stuff out. And the way that the economy is actually designed, a lot of that gear becomes significantly less valuable just a few levels later. Mm. So it doesn't mm. create anything more than like a blip. Right, because if you look, oh, a fifth level character has nine grand in in treasure, for example, but a tenth level character has fifty grand in treasure, and all of a sudden nine grand isn't really that much of a yeah. of an adjustment to the party's total wealth. 
Um, especially when it's like specialized gear that they are all like, well, I guess we sell it. So now it's only worth 4500 And yeah, we got a nice new pair of boots out of your character dying, but that's about it. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> well, this is exactly what I was terrified of you being here, Jason. Troy taking notes. And as soon as you mentioned the tax idea, he went, oh, that's a wonderful <laughs> idea. <laughs> Next week's episode, we're starting it a little bit differently. <laughs> another option is you could just have another uh, bad creature come in and take the corpse before where you can loot it. I've, I've tried that before. Yeah, thanks. And, uh, thanks. That works real well. Yeah. Yeah. They love that. Yeah. So when you are uh, bringing in a new character and you're doing the build by wealth thing, one thing that I do is I, I transfer stuff. So sometimes people will build a character that's going to get similar items, especially if they're epic story items that are passing on uh, legendary artifacts, that sure. kind of thing that are going to continue in the story. I like to give those some semblance of value that takes away from what the character can bring in on on that spend. Uh, now, it can't be their actual value. I mean, some of these artifact uh, campaign-style weapons, I mean, they have a, a, they're basically priceless, or they have a value of 50,000 gold or something like that. So that you can say, well, you get that or nothing, you know, that and, and underwear. You come in in a loincloth and, and get that blade. Hmm. Uh, but you do, you know, you should give it some value and, and take some of that away from the from the character build, I think, because otherwise, if you have somebody coming in with all the, you know, rings of protection that they need and, and, and such, and then that weapon, you want to make sure you factor in that weapon's value as well. There's a good way to help balance that out, too, by taking some of the character's new wealth, apportioning it off, and rolling randomly to determine what that is. That way the character doesn't come in with an optimal gear build. The game doesn't assume that you take your money and squeeze it to make the most optimal gear choices possible. If you do that, versus, like, if you have a ninth level character and you optimally spend every gold coin that character has, you're going to end up with a situation where that character has really good gear... Uh, compared to the character next to him who built up slowly to ninth level who got it from random drops. <clears throat> so you generally want to take some <laughs> you, you generally want to take some of their I, I hear the voice of experience. Uh, you generally want to take some of their gear and just give them random stuff. It's like, yeah, I, I know you don't have much of a use of pipes of haunting, but suck it up. That's the item you got. Um, That's interesting. I, I like never that. I Ranch never eyes. thought of that. Yeah. We we recently had that happen on the show with no spoilers character death. But there was a we decided to randomly roll on the magic property of a set of armor saying we, you go to a store you only get what's there and so we, oh, yeah. we rolled on it. I was like, this will be really fun. And then what I got stunk. And I was like, that wasn't fun. Let's undo that. But well, no, didn't, you, it, didn't you roll like brawler only armor first or something? <laughs> well, you have to change class, but this is your armor. Shut yeah, up and wear it. Exactly. It's Make like, it work. Does, does wonders for your unarmed attacks. I'm like, well, I'm, well <laughs> I'm a human. I don't even have an unarmed attack. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, thank you guys so much for writing in with those questions. Uh, we, we appreciate it as always. I hope you enjoyed the new longer form Canon Potter. Uh, we are going to be coming back again with another one in a month at the end of March. The last Thursday in March, you'll hear that one. Uh, but it is going to be hopefully uh, filled once again with listener mail and hopefully some interviews or an interview or something of, of that nature. We have some things in the works, so we hope to bring you uh, more quality, longer cannon fodder since we can only do it once a month. But I want to thank once again Eric and Jason for coming all the way out to the attic from Toy Fair to join us. Guys, thank you so yeah. much. We all really right. appreciate it. Let's, uh, let's watch some Jurassic Park. Yeah! yeah. I'll, I'll see you guys.